0: Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Saturday, February 19th, 2022. Well, sometimes my children will come to me with what they consider to be a very perplexing problem. And as soon as they describe it to me, the answer is pretty immediately clear, but sometimes I'll put it back on them to ask them, to test them, to see if they can think through the situation and come up with a solution. And lots of times the solution might be help from mom or dad, but I want them to be able to come to that conclusion. Well, today we're gonna see a much greater example of that because the gap between my knowledge and and the knowledge of my children is infinitely smaller than the gap between your knowledge and my knowledge and that of God and what he knows and what he understands. Yet today we're going to see an example of him putting it back, really, Jesus on his disciples to test them, to see if they can come up with a solution to see if they can understand and figure out what really is going on. And we're going to see that today as we look at the feeding of the 5,000. Now, unless you count the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is obviously miraculous, kind of if you think more just about the public ministry before the death and resurrection of Jesus, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. So today we will be reading from Matthew 14, 13 through 23, Mark 6, 31 through 46, Luke 9, 11 through 17, and John 6, 1 through 15. All four gospels record this miracle. We'll be looking mostly at the recording in John 6, verses 1 through 15. Now, a couple things to observe about this miracle. Miracle. And the first one we will have to note from some of the other accounts, um, but as you look at them, especially the account in Mark, you get the sense that this is happening, you know, in the wake of the death of John the Baptist or or the news of John the Baptist or whatever it may be. It comes right after that story. and, And whatever the case may be, we get this sense that Jesus is trying to get away. Jesus is trying to get away with his disciples. And you might be able to relate to this on some level if maybe you've ever just been trying to get out of town with your family. And as you're doing that, some kind of work situation blows up and your phone is blowing off the hook, right? And all these different Things where you're like, man, I'm just trying to get out of town with my family. Uh, Why is all of this following me? Well, imagine how Jesus feels trying to get away with his disciples. Again, this is after the news of John the Baptist. uh, You know, potential that that, that's a sad thing Um, that John the Baptist has been killed, trying to get away from all of that, yet the crowds have followed. And you'll notice in a couple of the passages that it refers to Jesus having compassion, on the crowds. And that tells us something about just the nature of our Savior. Even though he, in his humanity, was trying to get away with his disciples, he still felt compassion for the crowds. And even that word compassion in the Greek has that idea, you know, it's the same word used for kind of your, your gut, your intestines. Uh, you know, he's moved in his gut for the crowds. Jesus does not see the crowds as a means to his end or, you know, the crowds are serving his purposes or, you know, he, he's not viewing them as an inconvenience. He views them as as people. He views them as sheep without a shepherd. He has compassion on them. So there's a lot even just in those truths for us to think about. How do we view others, especially in ministry contexts? Do we view others as a project? Do we view others as a nuisance? Or do we view others with compassion? That's a challenging thought, but it also really just tells us a lot about the nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and his heart of compassion. And that's something that you and I benefit from greatly. Jesus doesn't think of you and I as a nuisance or a pest or a problem. He has compassion on us. So so that's one great thing just to observe from this miracle. But like I said, I want to focus on John because of the way it puts it, and it includes something that um, the other passages don't really touch on in this sense. But as it's all happening, in verse 5 It says, lifting up his eyes, this Jesus, then, seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, here's the kicker. Here's, I think, such a key verse in this account in John. He said, Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already knows and this may have been a back and forth. It seems, you know, that some the disciples are kind of questioning Jesus, but he's questioning them, you know, where, how are we going to get this done? But he already knows. And then we see the response, uh, verse 7, Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. You know, 200 denarii, a denarius was about a day's wage. So, I mean, that's that's a lot of income there. And that wouldn't even, he says, be enough for them to get a little. And then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, says, there is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many, right? The the response they get is, there's no way, Jesus, there's no way we can feed all of these people. And, And Jesus is drawing that out of them. And then verse 10, have the people sit down. Okay, I've asked you guys the answer to the question. You guys aren't quite getting it. Let me show you the answer to the question. And then Jesus miraculously provides for this crowd of, you know, 5,000 were the men, so even likely a much larger number than that. And then afterwards, the disciples conveniently, they each get their own to-go box with 12 baskets uh, of fragments left over. So now, not only has this meager five loaves and two fish fed this massive crowd. Now the disciples still have some food to take with them. What an amazing thing. What an amazing example of Jesus's power to provide. And that's the other lesson. We see that lesson just of the care of Jesus, the compassion on the crowds, but also we see a powerful message of the, the ability of Jesus to provide. When we look at things and say, There's no way. There's no way this adds up. There's no way this is going to work out. Jesus already knows what he is going to do. And that's where I think a more appropriate answer from Philip or from Andrew would have been, I don't know, Jesus, because there is no way that we would have enough money to buy bread and there's not enough food here, but we trust you. We trust that somehow you can provide for this crowd. And obviously we say that with the benefit of hindsight, because that's the challenge that we're going to be faced with. You might come across even just some financial situations where you're saying, I don't know how this adds up. And we have to say, well, Jesus already knows. And I know that he's compassionate. I know he's able to provide. So I'm going to trust him. You might find yourself in a ministry situation where you're saying, how in the world is this going to get done? Well, we have to trust Jesus is compassionate. Jesus can provide. He already knows what he is going to do. So I'm not going to freak out. I'm not going to doubt God. I'm going to trust God. And that's where I might not know what that looks like. I might not know how God is going to get this done, but I can trust that he will, because he is compassionate, because he does promise to provide. And that's where, you know, sometimes we might be really seeking something to our own selfish ends and That's where we need to be careful, but often when we are really seeing a need for God to provide for his glory, for his people, for the sake of his purposes, we we can trust him, and we can trust his powerful ability to provide, and I guarantee you, you will be tested, but that's where we need to trust God already knows what he is going to do. May we learn not to lean on our own understanding, but to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, and he's going to Make those paths straight. He is going to provide, and I hope this miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels really helps us to trust him more. Now let's transition back to the Old Testament, to Exodus 39 and 40. And now we're wrapping up the book of Exodus. We're kind of wrapping up the, the tabernacle being built, the priests being um, Consecrated in the sense of you know even the, these clothes that are made for them, all this work that is is done. Um, and one thing that you will see a recurring phrase uh, throughout the reading today is basically as the Lord had commanded. So we've been reading all these instructions for the priestly garments, for the different things in the the tabernacle, and now we're seeing it's all getting put together as the Lord had commanded. And again, so much of the priestly garments even really show it's, that they are to be set apart, right? Even there, again, is that phrase, holy to the Lord, that this is the way that the priests were to be. And then we see the glorious ending of the book, starting in chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. What an amazing sight, "...throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night." in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. I mean, what a sight you think of the cloud, but, you know, think about this tent, um, you know, a fire, you know, filling it at night. What an amazing spectacle that must have been, this visible manifestation of the glory of God. And so that's kind of culminating a little bit of what we talked about yesterday. When God's people set themselves aside, consecrate themselves to God, and to do his will, and to come together and do what God has commanded, it will be a glorious thing, and God will be present in it. That's where I I wouldn't expect the the cloud or the fire to fall upon your church, uh, you know, in that visible manifestation this Sunday. But we can trust when we come together, and we do what God has commanded, and we set ourselves apart for his will, God will work in it, And it will turn into a beautiful thing, just as this tabernacle and all the priestly garments came together in that way. And so may we be committed to God, set apart for him, committed to obey him, and trusting that God will use that for his glory. And whatever comes up on the way as we seek to do that, God already knows what he is going to do. Even though he might be testing us and testing our faith, may we trust Him and His amazing ability to provide. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church, Trigger Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.